Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. In today's episode, we're going to take some experience over the last couple of years of the most commonly asked questions that Josh and I get as a mortgage professional, as a professional real estate agent, and answer them for you, right? I mean, we've done a couple hundred videos on YouTube, uh, you know, 150 hours of, of live question asking. And so what we're going to do is take those commonly asked questions today. We're going to address them in one episode. You know, we're going to talk about everything from credit scores to down payments to employment um, and then just some general questions with regards to the home buying process. Josh, let's start it. So what do you think is probably the most commonly asked question that you get? What does it pertain to uh, when somebody calls you about getting pre-approved or just trying to have a conversation about the home buying process? What comes up first? There's there's a variety of them, but um, the biggest concern, we talk to a lot of first-time buyers. Is my credit score good enough? So it, the, the biggest one relates to what, what credit score do I need to have? Where do I need to get it to get? Is my credit score good enough? Um, uh, another one is uh, it relates to employment. Here, uh, here's my employment history. I just graduated. Is that okay? I just switched jobs. Is that okay? So we're going to go through a, a bunch of them here. But um, you know, a, a funny thing, one that that people are often concerned about is how long is my pre-approval good for once uh, once I get pre-approved? So we've got we've got a lot of them. I would say those are the three most common things related to uh, credit score or how much money I need, um, how long I need to have been on my job, and then how long once I finish this process, what does it look like? And many of them pertain to qualifying for a mortgage, right? They might watch a video or, or read something on an FHA loan. And then they might read something on a conventional loan and they want to say, hey, well, what credit score do I need for this loan program? What do I need for this loan program? I've got really good credit. Can I do this? I've got really bad credit. You know, where do I stand? So what we're going to do today is start by talking about credit score. It's it's probably one of the most commonly asked questions that we get. Um, you know, people tell us their credit score and they say, you know, what type of loan program is good for me and or you know, they're they're looking at a program that they've already kind of set their eyes on going, OK, what do I need in order to qualify for that program? So, Josh, let's talk about bare minimum. If you want to buy a house, what is the minimum credit score that you need to do it? And then maybe we talk about, you know, how that credit score impacts everything throughout the process and why credit score is so important. Give you the short and easy answer. Um, government loans, FHA, VA, 580 is is sort of the magic, but um, you you can have issues if if you're as low as 580. So in reality, you can go as low as as 500. They don't have minimums on that, but once you get below 580, they start requiring more of a down payment, and it's just harder to qualify. You're far less likely to get an automated approval. Without the automated approval, it's now a manual underwrite. Manual underwriting guidelines are tighter, more restrictive, lower debt to income ratios. So I always tell people, think in terms of 580 being your minimum, 
practically you want to be above 600 620 and to start getting good terms on a government loan you want to be above 640. about half of lenders won't do uh, a loan below 640 even though fha and va allow it but um, those that do are going to get a premium for it. So you're you're already in a situation where you're likely to have to go to a lower debt to income ratio because the possibility of a manual underwrite and we're giving you a higher interest rate because of the additional risk you represent to the lender. So even with FHA and VA, I would shoot for a 640. On the conventional side, 620 is the number. And we had a change here in the last six to 12 months that if there's two borrowers, we can average out the middle of them. They're gonna qualify and, and price you off of the lower borrower. But if there's two borrowers and one has a higher credit score, you can uh, average those numbers, but it also does come back to the automated approval has to still approve with those. And it's pretty rare. I've had one or two of them come up where we have one borrower under a 620 where we've been able to get an approval. Um, but long way of saying what I like to tell people is don't just, Google things or watch a YouTube video and go, this is the answer. There's an answer, but then there's a lot of gray in there. You do really want to talk to a lender who's looked at your credit, a recent credit score, um, preferably had access to run it through an automated underwriting system and give you a little better feedback than just what the guidelines say. And, and it's important, right? I mean, you know, we often talk about, you know, on 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 the videos online and on here about working with a professional, you know, talking to different people. Is it possible for someone to get turned down? I mean, this is a question I have, maybe not even a commonly asked question, but is it possible for someone to get turned down by, say, a bank and then come to a broker and then the broker is actually able to get them approved because that bank didn't have access to programs that that uh, facilitated lower credit scores or different guidelines? A thousand percent. And probably the best example I have this year is three separate borrowers who wanted to buy new construction. As you guys all know, builders uh, are going to require you to pre-approve with their lender and their lender told them you don't qualify. We got all three of them qualified. Two have already closed. One's going to close here uh, at the end of the month. Actually, two of them are closing here at the end of the month. And a little bit of it was overlays for those lenders. And another chunk of it was just the experience of the loan officer. Um, for those of you who have watched uh, us a lot, you may know my business partner and I have a, a separate uh, business called Find My Way Home, where we've been talking about difficult situations for borrowers since 2007, 2008. Scott started blogging about that stuff. And from that, I would say one or two of the deals that we close every month are people who have been turned down at another lender. And sometimes it's what you're referencing, Jeb, it's overlays where they work for a bank or an online lender that just has more restrictive guidelines above and beyond what Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA have. I would say more like 60, 65% of the time, it's just a loan officer that doesn't know how to operate within the guidelines to see things in your favor. Everyone would like to think that all of these guidelines are hard and fast, everything's black and white. Maybe 80% of it's black and white. A lot of it falls in, in the gray area. What I like to tell people, Jeb, you as a borrower, you're responsible for your story I'm like the editor of that story so that when the underwriter reads it, they go, that's a good story. I like that versus you just being able to show up and hand over your information. And maybe they like it, maybe they don't. I need you to tell me the whole story. We edit it up and make sure the underwriter likes the story that we're telling. And it, it makes a big, big difference. Got it. And so 
One more question with regards to credit score. How does that credit score impact your ability to qualify? Are you more likely to get approved for a loan because you have a higher credit score or are there just so many factors on top of that credit score that it's just a piece of the puzzle? varies by loan program um like jumbo programs are going to have much higher minimum credit scores a lot of them just won't go below 680 some of them won't go below 720. um the biggest thing that you're going to see we already talked about not being able to get an automated approval and having to go to a manual underwrite which is really a government thing 99 percent of lenders will not do uh conventional meaning fannie mae or freddie mac manual underwrite so you, you have the issue of once you go to the manual guidelines they're more restrictive we have to have compensating factors. We have a lower debt to income ratio, all of that fun stuff. What, what is a compensating factor? Something that's not in the guidelines, but is good and in your favor. You have two months of payment uh, reserves after closing. Um, you know, there's there's any number of things. They can do a residual income calculation. One of those clients that I told you that we did a manual underwrite, we got them approved FHA that the builder's lender couldn't. The compensating factor we had is we go through a residual income calculation, which shows after they pay all their bills, they have plenty of money every okay. month. So there's there's a handful. There's, there's only like three or four that FHA consider compensating factors, but we generally have to have those on a manual underwrite. The other piece is if you're somewhere in the middle, let's say you have that 640 credit score and you're putting 25% down, so you want to go conventional because there's no mortgage insurance, you may get the automated approval, but... The, the automated underwriting systems are black boxes. We don't know what or why they make their decisions that they do. Um, so I can tell you that for most clients, we can go to a 45% debt to income ratio on a conventional loan. Some can go to 50, some can't even go to 45, and it's hard to say where the magic number is. And about every two to three months, Fannie and Freddie give updates to their automated underwriting system. So if you're on the lower end of that credit scale, you are less likely to get the maximum debt to income qualifications. So, and we can argue whether that's a good or a bad thing. I mean, some people would say, hey, no one should get approved with a 50% debt to income ratio, but you're less likely to get that 45 or 50% debt to income uh, approval through the automated underwriting systems, the lower your credit score is. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, in summary, credit score, super important. The better your credit score, the better rate you're going to get, the better terms you're going to get. As that credit score goes down, the more questionable it's it's going to become with regards to you being able to qualify, what terms you're going to get, interest rates, et cetera. So just make sure you're you're talking to a professional, you know, an expert that understands the business. If you need someone, there's a link in the description of the podcast. Happy to refer you to somebody we know, like, and trust that'll take care of you, understands these programs and can guide you through that process. So Josh, second question, I would, I would probably, you know, say that this... Questions with regards to down payments are are where the bulk of the questions come from, just because there are different programs that allow different amounts and and so on and so forth. So let's talk a little bit here about down payments. How much does a home buyer need down to buy a house? Because and there's two things here that you can touch on. One is down payment, right? People think, hey, okay, this is what I need to buy a house, and they don't understand that there's additional cost additional cost involved. So let's talk about down payment and then we can kind of talk about maybe some of the closing costs and that sort of thing in there as well absolutely so let's start with the easy ones the ones that require no down payment if you're a veteran and eligible for va financing 
zero down payment required. So that's a special borrower that's eligible for those loans. We also have properties located in the special area. If you are uh, buying a home that is USDA eligible, also zero down payment required. Those, um, those are really the only two other than down payment assistance programs where you're actually making a down payment, but you're getting assistance to make it. So now let's roll over FHA, super simple and straightforward, minimum three and a half percent down. You can put more down, but there's not much of a benefit. You're going to pay very similar mortgage insurance. Um, the standard mortgage insurance on an FHA is 0.85%. If you put five or more percent down, it drops to 0.80. So very little incentive for an FHA borrower to put more down other than to lower the payment. So we roll over into conventional loans. We're looking 3% down on a standard balance loan. So Fannie Mae sets their, their limits. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac this year were at 647,200. So if your loan amount is 647,200 or below, you can put as little as 3% down. If you go to a high balance loan, which in areas like Orange and LA County, we can go to 150% of the standard balance limit. So if you're in that high balance range, you your minimum is 5% down. So above and beyond USDA, VA, FHA, Fannie, Freddie, you have jumbo lenders and portfolio lenders and banks, and all of them are going to set their own guidelines and their own requirement and their own minimum. So beyond the major programs, the lowest you're going to find is 3%. Some of them are going to require 20%. So you need, if you're looking for a unique program from a unique lender, um, you're looking for a bank statement loan, you're looking for a loan for $3 million, uh, it's going to vary from lender to lender and, and you're going to have to check. So Jeb, you had hinted something very, very important. Well, um, now, before you talk about that, I think you're going to go into closing costs and, and additional costs. Let's talk about down payment here just for one more second. And can where does that down payment need to come from? Because I think that's a question that many people have out there is, does this money need to come from my checking account? Do I need to have it in cash? Like, how does that money for the down payment, you know, where, where can I grab it from? Can it be a gift? Can I keep it under my mattress? Like, what's the answer? depends on the loan program and it depends on the property type and the purpose, uh, not the property type, the purpose of the property, whether I'm going to occupy or not occupy for the purpose of this conversation. Most of you guys watching are looking at buying your first home or selling a home, buying a, another home. It can be a gift. Um, generally, it doesn't have to be your own funds. Even Fannie and Freddie on an owner-occupied primary residence, it can be 100% gift. So we have restrictions on who the gift donor can be. You have to have some type of relationship with them. Um, FHA is actually more restrictive on who can be the gift donor. The funny thing is there's no gift donor police. No one really checks and confirms the relationship on those. Um, but you don't have to have the funds yourself. So Jeb, you had said something was important. Um, mattress money, for the most part, is acceptable, but it is very hard to document. So um, I can't tell you. Back in the 90s, probably every fourth or fifth FHA loan that I did, we would have mattress money. And you would have to show a budget and show where the extra savings came from and get a letter from the borrower as to why they saved at home versus saving in a bank. We technically can still do that. Lenders are much more restrictive on it. Um, it can be done, but it's not easy. So for the most part, if you have money sitting at home and you know you're going to buy a home in three, four months, better to put it in the bank um, and season those funds before you buy versus trying to explain it. But it's not impossible. And now one other thing you mentioned, you kind of hinted at earlier, is down payment assistance, grants, that sort of thing. 
those are also allowed if your state has programs for them you qualify etc the down payment can come from those is that right yep fannie freddie fha uh, all allow um assistance programs from nonprofits, government agencies. So for the most part, if it's an accepted program, those programs don't get established without making sure they're following the regulations that make them eligible for FHA and conventional financing. So yeah, you can absolutely use those for your down payment as well. It's important to find out, am I getting a grant? Am I getting a silent second? Am I getting a forgivable second? Uh, a second mortgage obviously is an additional lien against the property. Silent second means I don't have to make payments against it but at some point I got to repay it. A forgivable second means once I meet some sort of criteria, three years, five years, 10 years in the home, they will forgive uh, that second. So obviously grant would be the most desirable, forgivable second, the next, and then a silent second would be your, your third in, in order of preference there. Got it. So now let's talk about closing costs, right? We'll talk about closing costs and then we'll talk about the question that a lot of buyers have is what additional money do I need? Do I need money outside of the down payment and the closing cost? But before we get there, Josh, closing cost, that is in addition to my down payment. So earlier you mentioned FHA, I can purchase with three and a half percent down. So I, let's say I have the three and a half percent and that's all I have. Am I still a, you know, an eligible um, home buyer or do I need additional funds? Now we're going back to a couple of recent episodes here. We can get seller credits. We can get lender credits. We can get people in with just the down payment. Um, and that's every loan program. So VA loan, zero down payment. You may say, I've got no money. So we can get a lender credit to cover all your closing costs. Seller can cover all of your closing costs. And that's true for conventional uh, and USDA as well. So how much do I need to be prepared with? And I always like to, to lead with this one because I get people that call me all the time and says, well, I heard that closing costs are supposed to be like one and a half to two and a half percent. And I've got this exorbitant number that the, the lender gave me. There's closing costs and there's prepaids. So the prepaids are amounts to establish your impound account. What in the world is my escrow impound account? It's the account that uh, is used that they take a portion of your monthly payment so that when your taxes come due and when your homeowner's insurance come due, that they, they are paid. Um, so you're not having to pay the, your, your taxes once or twice a year. You're not having to pay your insurance when it comes due. So depending on when you close and how often taxes are paid in your state, that can be a pretty large number. So usually I tell people to count on uh, a similar amount for prepaids as there are for closing costs. We also have um, you know, your first year's homeowner's insurance is in there. However many days are left in the month. If you close on the 10th, we have 20 days left in the month. You're not going to make a payment on the first of the next month. So the lender still gets their interest for those 20 days. They collect it prepaid at closing. So for us, California is pretty easy. And this varies from month to month. But for us, we do most of our loans zero points. And from that perspective, it's generally just a little bit more than 2% for your closing costs and your prepaids. So if you buy a $500,000 home, you're gonna need about 10 to $12,000 to cover your prepaids and your closing costs. Now, Jeb, we do the live every week. People always ask this question whenever we talk about it. We always have someone from a high cost state like New York step up and say, I paid five and a half percent. Some states have higher closing costs. They have uh, transfer taxes, they have attorney fees. 
So it is important that early in the process, you sit with an expert lender that knows and can accurately tell you what your closing costs would be. And, I, and the reason why I say an expert lender who can accurately tell you those things, I've spoken with two clients here in the last few weeks that they had already been pre-approved and they went through with the lender and those lenders told them, oh, I don't really know what the closing costs are until we have a contract. Or they send over numbers that are just gross overgeneralizations that are leaving out important things. So again, lots of people are loan officers. Lots of people can quote you numbers. It's really important that you get accurate numbers up front so that you know going into it, how much do I need to ask the seller for to cover with me? So if we're doing an FHA 3.5% down and we only have four percent available we know anything above that we need to have either a seller credit or a lender credit to cover it's very important to know those numbers from our end what we do we're going to overestimate on the front end because i don't know third-party fees i don't know escrow title don't know a lot of things but we can give you a safe estimate up front so when we go in we're getting enough uh, of a credit if needed to cover your ability to close now, if you want more information on closing costs, episode six dives into closing costs in detail. We, we talk about prepaids versus actual closing costs in there. So you can get, you know, a 30 minute deep dive into all of these different types of fees and what Josh is talking about here. And then if you want to talk about, um, you know, maybe using the seller's money to help you with with a portion of your cost. Um, you know, we episode 24 and 20, 23 and 24, I believe, touch on credits and buy downs and that sort of thing. Uh, so check those out and, um, you know, again, become more educated on the process. So Josh, what other money do I need? Right. I got my down payment. I got my closing costs. Is there anything else? Do I have to have money in the bank when the lender looks at my loan and they say, well, you're spending everything you have to buy this house. Is that something they say, or am I okay with not having money in the bank? For the most part, all of the loan programs that we just discussed, VA, USDA, FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they will let you close with no reserves. If you have lesser qualifications, you may need to have reserves to get an automated approval. Um, if you're buying uh, an investment property, now we're, we're generally into the position where Fannie and Freddie are going to look at wanting reserves for the current property, the other properties. Um, if you're looking at a jumbo loan or a portfolio loan or uh, included in the portfolio loan, if you're looking like a bank statement loan or a debt service coverage ratio loan, most of those loan programs will have reserve requirements. And if they require reserves, low end is two months, high end is 12 months. Occasionally we'll see for like a super jumbo loan, you want a $5 million loan, they might want 18 or 24 months of PITI, so your total monthly payment in reserves. But for the most part, two to three months, six on the high side, unless you're getting a really big loan or you have a lot of investment properties, you shouldn't get into much more than that. Got it. So, so far we've talked about credit scores. We've talked about down payments. We still need to talk about employment. We still need to talk about, you know, um, assets. Well, we kind of talked about assets a little bit there, but, you know, and answer those commonly asked questions that we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show. I think what we should do, Josh, is cut this into a part one and part two series in order to keep it, you know, at a shorter length, easier to digest because there's a lot of information in there. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut it here and then we're going to come back with, ep, you know, part two of the same episode with the commonly asked questions be posted uh, the following week. And we're going to touch on those questions that we, you know, we mentioned earlier about, you know, pay stubs, uh, you know, 
what you need with regards to to length of employment. We're going to talk about, you know, if you've been disabled or or laid off from your job. We're going to talk about, you know, all of that stuff as well as how much money do you need to make? Is there a minimum amount? You know, just some of that stuff. How good is how long is your pre-approval good for? So Tune in next week when we dive into that process. Um, we're also going to talk about, you know, one of, the, again, probably one of the more commonly asked questions is how soon should I start the pre-approval process? If I'm not buying a home for a year from now, should I start now or should I wait, you know, until I'm ready at that time? We're going to answer all that in detail for you in part two. But for now, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you listening. We will talk to you again soon. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.